You guys, let's pray and we will get into his word. Amen. Father, we thank you for your time, Lord God, and, and that you've given us, Lord. The breath in our lungs, Lord, is only because you've gifted it to us, God. The, the fact, Lord, that we can come here freely, Father, is not because we're special that we were born in America. It's because you saw fit to have us here. Lord God, we could just as easily have been in another country, God, uh, literally doing this in absolute secrecy and fearing for our lives. And so, God, I'm asking today, Lord, as we come into your word, Lord God, I pray, Father, that we would not take the freedom that we have to be in it openly and freely and to be putting it out over the interwebs for granted, God. But, Lord, that we would come to it with the same reverence and fear and holiness, Lord God, that you uh, expect us to, Lord God, everywhere, wherever someone lives in the world, Lord. Lord, that we would look at this as literally the water and the bread of life, Lord God, to us, because that's what it is. And so, Lord, I pray as we dig in, Father, would you get me out of the way, Lord? We want to hear from you. We're here to hear from you, God. Lord, please have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you guys, last week, if you remember, for those of you that were here and for those of you that weren't, here's a little review. Last week, we looked at the call that Jesus gave to his disciples to do what? To take up their cross and to die to themselves, and live their lives for the Lord. And so we looked at those two things, and we talked about the fact that every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. That's just the facts. And so we talked at length last week, and I'm just going to hammer it home one more time. If you're here today, and you're like, man, I'm not doing the best job of being a disciple, that is not anybody saying you're not saved. If you have confessed Christ with your mouth, and believed in your heart that he is Lord, you're saved. That's a fact. What does it look like to be a disciple then? Well, you guys, we talked about the fact that the reality for every Christian should be a walk and a path in sanctification towards discipleship. That that's the way it goes. This isn't something that we womp up on our own. We're not like, yeah, I'm in, all right. And I'm perfect. Like, that's not how that works, right? Like, no, we're like, we mess up every day and we keep screwing up. But the idea is, is a disciple's one that just keeps walking with the Lord and realizes the weight of the cross that God's asked them to carry, right? And we know Jesus says his burden is easy. His yoke is light. So when I'm talking about the weight, I'm talking about the idea of like hearing with our ears and hearing from the Lord, like, man, this is the job that you've got for me, Lord. This is the calling that you have on my life. For today, that might be to talk to my coworker that I don't like. Tomorrow, it might be go and deal with your family that drives you nuts, right? The next day, it might be a friend that reaches out to you that you knew back in the day when you were doing drugs and drinking and doing all the crazy stuff. And they're like, you're different. And then you get a chance to tell them why you're different, right? Like it, that act of discipleship, if we look at the disciples, we've looked over the last few weeks, they've traveled 120 miles to do what? To go witness and minister to this one Gentile woman that had a sick daughter. They walked 120 miles to do one thing. Then they come back and they go down and they have like this massive feeding of the 4,000, which only happened a little bit after the feeding of the 5,000 earlier. And Jesus gave them another opportunity to learn. And what did they do? Same thing they did before. We don't have any money. We don't have any food. How are we going to do this? And Jesus is like, get the loaves, get the, <laughs> right? They're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's discipleship, guys. It's growing with the Lord. It's a walk that we continue to walk out with him. That's what it looks like. It's not something we fix or we do great at. 
And we're going to see again today. And we looked last week at the fact that Peter, right after saying some amazing things that God gave to him, man, you are, not only are you the Messiah, the Savior of this entire world, or at least us, according to Peter, right? At least the Israelites at that moment in history where he thought, but also you're God. Like you're, you're God, you're the son of God. And so Peter rocked out this amazing, dropped some knowledge, like bow, that God gave him. And Jesus is like, good on you, Peter. And what do we read right after that? This disciple, this disciple, right after that, pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. What am I trying to say? Dude, discipleship is not a perfect walk. That's not what that means. It's never been about a perfect walk. We rely on a perfect sacrifice through Christ. That's the point. We walk and we keep walking in sanctification. That idea of sanctification is something that happens step after step after step after step and we become different people from the inside out. God changes us. And so that's the encouragement I have for you guys is that as we've looked at all these things and now we're digging into this next thing, I just wanna talk about this, that we need to have a clear understanding of what discipleship is because after last week's message, I did have some people come up to me and be like, so I guess I have to be perfect or I guess I have to, this is what you're expecting of me or this and this and I'm like, no, no, apparently I didn't do a very good job of making that clear. Like, I'm not perfect, you guys. If anybody thinks I am, talk to me for 10 seconds, you'll realize I'm not right? Like we're all messed up. We're all working towards this thing, walking with the Lord. The reality is, is that part of discipleship is this. The further we walk with Jesus, the more we understand what it is to take up a cross, the more we spend time with God, the more we realize that we need to die to this very short life here on earth because we have much better life eternally to look forward to. And so our, our, our perspective changes. The way we look at life changes. The way we look at our, our stuff changes. The way we look at our, even our friends and, and what we're willing to put into our body changes. Everything changes. And it's not something we work on. It's something that we submit our lives to God in. That's how that works. That's the work that we do as we submit. So today, we're going to be looking at this amazing experience that Jesus gave to Peter, James, and John. They were going to get to see Jesus in his true form, the transfiguration. And I'm excited about it because I, I want to say everything we talked about last week with discipleship, if it was just coming from a regular old man, well, then it's nothing better than a self-help, right? It might as well be Tony, Tony Evans. Is that the guy that's always up there like, yeah, right? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, y'all. You act like you're like, no, we don't watch secular things, pastor. We're perfect. Come on. Yeah, it's no better than that, right? You might as well just have some guru telling you what to do if that's all that Jesus was, was just a person. But he wasn't. And that's what we see today. And so what did he call us to do? Die. Take up our cross. Die to ourselves. Who's saying that, though? Let's look. Verse 1 of chapter 17. It says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. So Jesus 
Remember, last week we, locked, we looked at this. He took the disciples up away from the Sea of Galilee, up into Caesarea Philippi, which is about 30 miles north of there. And so he's up in this Gentile area. And we talked last week that most scholars and I tend to believe that like he was up there to get away from people that knew him. Because, I mean, how do you feed 5,000 men? plus women and children, and then feed 4,000 men, plus women and children, which means a lot more than that number, right? How do you do that? Well, because everybody knows you and they have an expectation of you. How's he gonna teach his disciples privately? He's gotta go to an area that basically nobody really knows about him very much. And so that's what he did. He went into this area up north, and we looked at a map last week that I didn't load this week, I'm sorry. Up north is where Caesarea Philippi was, right? Just kind of northwest, of the Sea of Galilee. And so that's where he is, about 30 miles north. And then above that, you guys, was Mount Hermon. Remember, I don't know if you guys remember those that were here last week, but I pointed that out because it was on the map. And I was like, it's just a little north of Caesarea Philippi is Mount Hermon. That's the mountain that most scholars believe that Jesus went, and that's where the transfiguration happened. Now, if you go to Israel, right, Catherine who was the Holy Roman Empire and all that, she was like up on this flat hill, much closer to the Sea of Galilee, that I suddenly dropped the name. I had it five seconds ago. I'm getting old, guys. Um, can't, do you know that, what I'm talking about? No? Okay, it's okay. So there's this, mo- not a mosque, a, a shrine to the Transfiguration, right? They're, they built a church on it, basically, because that's what the Catholics did whenever they were in, doing the stuff. So Catherine went over there and she's like, this had to be where it happened. Why? Because it was flat. Well, that doesn't really make sense for a lot of reasons. Scripturally, it makes no sense because they were way north of there. So why would he walk all the way down to some flat spot to do it? Number two, he did this in front of three people. Why would he be like up on a flat spot? Like, look at me, everybody. (laughs) Do you get what I'm getting at? You guys awake? I'm just being for real, man. I feel like I'm going to do it like a cartwheel to see if everybody gets surprised. Do it? All right. (laughs) I don't got this. I don't got this. You don't want to see that. (laughs) So you guys, (laughs) so here's the truth. We don't know what he was saying during these six days that they were in Caesarea Philippi. But like we looked at last week, what we do know is that he was talking to them about things that he wanted them to know. He had just told them on the way up there, hey man, I'm going to die I'm going to rise again in three days. He dropped that knowledge. That's what caused Peter to be like, that, no, that is not the idea of the Messiah that I've been taught. So you're wrong, Messiah, (laughs) right? Like, so that's what happened there. And Peter got rebuked for it, right? So we know that that's what he's doing. He's going there to teach them a time of preparing them for what was to come. That was what he was up there to do. So Jesus then, while they're there, after six days of being there, takes these three disciples away. These three that are essentially, you guys, you see this throughout scripture. Jesus kind of viewed those as the leaders of the group of leaders. Does that make sense? And isn't that how it always kind of goes? You got these people that you can disseminate information to that will then get it out to the other people and then, and they're leaders as well. And then they can do it down the line, right? So that's kind of way, the way Peter, James, and John reviewed all throughout scripture. We see Jesus doing these. Those are the three that are going to be with him in the garden of Gethsemane as well. They were also the three that we read about earlier. Do you remember? that he took into the house, kicked all the scoffers out and healed that little girl. Do you remember that? So there's these parts of scripture that we see where these three tend to be, it seems, the leaders within the group of leaders. And so he takes them away up on or into this mountain, Mount Hermon. 
This mountain, Mount Hermon, stands about 10,000 feet. It's 9,400 and some feet tall. And so I like that it says that they went up into it because it means that they didn't actually hike the entire mountain. They're not like, you know, crampons and all that getting up to the top. They just went up into the mountain. They went up into the elevation, probably far enough away that they really couldn't be seen. So they walked in there, they get up there, and Luke actually gives us some further insight into what these three verses, like how all this goes down. So if you could, we're going to be flipping around a little bit today. Flip over with me to the book of Luke, chapter 9. Book of Luke, Luke chapter 9. I point these things out to you guys, and we'll look at something that you might be like, what? That's different. I point these things out because I want us to grow and learn about these things. Ready? Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Everybody there? Everybody that's got phones has like been there waiting. Here we go. Verse 28 of chapter 9 says this. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, spoke of his death, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. So what do we learn from Luke? Well, a couple things. A couple things. We learned first off that when they got up there, they got tuckered out. And isn't that just like these three? Garden of Gethsemane, they're sleeping. Jesus is like, can y'all wake up, please? Like for real, it's a pretty important night. Can, can you hang out with me? Can you like hang? Can you, can you press in to the Lord with me? Right? They fell asleep again. And so here they're like, Jesus, we just like 6,000 feet. The air's thin, right? You want to pray right now? Sure. Right? They took a nap. What's another thing we see here? Do you guys notice that in Matthew and in Mark, we're told it's six days, but in Luke, we're told eight. People like to do these things, and that's why I like to point them out, because they'll be like, oh, that's a discrepancy. The whole Bible's wrong. No, <laughs> that's not true. What did Luke say about eight days? Remember, and we got to keep this in mind, guys. When we look at the Gospels specifically, the Gospel of Mark, John Mark was a young man. John Mark was Peter's essentially disciple near the end of Peter's life. And so Peter, for the most part, was, is kind of the way people view this, scholars view this, I believe it too, is that Peter was speaking things. Remember, he was not some theologian, some master learned person, even though he hung out with Jesus, so he knew a lot more than a lot of people. But he wasn't, he was a fisherman. And so his Greek, even when you read First and Second Peter, which he actually did write, you know, having taken Greek, it's pretty simplistic Greek. He wasn't a super educated guy. And so a lot of people believe that, Matt, or that uh, Mark was written, basically Mark was writing down what Peter was telling him. And so we're going to see some things today that Peter gives us insight through, through Mark. So the gospel of Mark was written with Peter there talking. Why am I saying that? Peter was one of the three that were here. So do you think Peter knew how many days it was? Yep. What was Luke? Luke was the last gospel written. Luke was a reporter. 
If you think of Luke as a reporter, he was in there taking like insight from other people and being like, what happened? How did this go down? So do you notice for whatever reason, and who knows why, but it was the last gospel written, somehow, some way, he was like, it was about eight days. Like that's the information he was given. Do you see that that doesn't change anything because the other two gospels that have this story in it say six days. So we know it was six days. Luke didn't say it was eight days. He said it was about eight days. It sounds silly to make that argument, but you will have people sometimes try to discredit the entire scripture based on something as stupid as that. And so we need to be aware of that stuff so that we're not like, it says what? And freak out. But instead we can be like, yeah, about eight days. If I say to you that something took about a week, but it took three days, am I a liar? right? Like, because you know it's three days and I say it's about a week, it's about a week. Calm down. And so we need to be aware of these things when we come across them in scripture. Like, take that stuff in. Know it. I want to point that out to you guys. So, Peter, James, and John, they were all tuckered out from this long hike that they went on. Jesus went up there. He's like, let's pray. They did what they're good at. They fell asleep. When they woke up from their little nappy, Jesus was already talking to Moses and Elijah. That's what Jesus was doing. He was already glorified. He was transfigured. The Greek word here is metamorpho, which is where we get the word metamorphosis. So this word means what is on the inside comes to the outside. That's what the word means. Think about it. What happens to a cocoon, right? The little caterpillar, little cute little caterpillar goes up, builds a cocoon around itself. What comes out? A butterfly. That's the idea. It's metamorphosis. It's changing. It's changed, and what was inside comes out, right? And I want to talk about this for a minute, you guys, because here they were seeing the true form of Jesus, and it was so bright that his face, it says, shone like the sun. It doesn't mean that the sun was shining on his face. It means when they looked at his face, you guys, it was like they were staring straight into the sun. Like, get your head around that. This guy that just told them, his disciples, do you have a headache? I'm yelling. Okay, it's all good. I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure because I keep seeing you go like that. I'm like, oh, dude, I'm screaming my face off. I'm sorry. We're going to have to edit that out. Yeah. (laughs) So you guys, this idea that here's Jesus shining like the sun, shining like the sun, like this guy, this, this, this God in flesh, man, that's here to die on the cross and just got done telling the disciples that, Peter's like, that's not how this is supposed to go. That's the guy that told them, and guess what? Not only am I gonna go die and rise again, but you die. I'm asking you to die to yourself, spiritually, like to to give up your own life and say, here, it's yours, God. Do what you will. And I want you to get your head around this. This isn't just some guru. This isn't Gandhi. This isn't whoever right? This isn't whoever the Beatles went to in the 60s in in India. This isn't that. This is God saying, I'm doing this for you, and I'm asking this of you, and just so you know, you're not alone. Like, this is really who I am. Think of it. It's like he peeled off his skin suit, so to speak. He didn't, but you get my point? It's like what was on the inside, what was really who Jesus was, they got to see. And you guys, I think the more we get our head around that little part right there to me, and I don't know about y'all, but the easier that makes it for me to say, yeah, I'm willing to give this up because I'm not the best little G God. I can't do this job very well here on earth, but God, you can. And I want to give that up. I want to be transformed. I want to see you, God, work 
through me and change my life. It's amazing. God, you guys, does a work over our entire lives here on earth. If you're here today and you're a believer, we're being sanctified and changed from the inside out. And I need to keep clarifying that. We're being changed from the inside out. Why do I say that? How many times have you guys heard me from here that if we have someone that comes in that drops the F-bomb, it's a word, calm down. God will change that from the inside out. It'll be worked out of people's lives, won't it? And, and here's the other reality, you guys. If we show to raise of hands, which we're not gonna do, how many of y'all are like, actually, I still kind of struggle with that myself, right? But yet sometimes in the church, sometimes we look and we're like, you don't look perfect like me because I'm putting on a super amazing plastic face that looks amazing, right? That's not what I want. That's not what we are should be as a church. We should be who we are and let God work stuff out of us from the inside out. What does that require of us? Death. If you've got a potty mouth, stop it. How do you stop it? Say, God, help me to get rid of this. And I'll tell you what I did to get rid of it is that I changed my words. Fliberty gibbet, (laughs) right? Or whatever. You add another word to it for a little while until eventually that doesn't even need to be said. And it just kind of disappears. So is there work involved on our part? Yes, but that work is just submitting to God and saying, Lord, your word says no filthy language. I'm going to stop using filthy language. Not because I'm amazing and I can do it on my own, but because I'm going to ask you, Father, to change my heart, to change who I am. What about fill in the blank? Pornography. What about drugs? What about alcohol? What about gossip? What about everything? Name the sin. Everybody has them. None of us walk in here perfect. What is that thing in your life? Let God change that from the inside out. That's the idea, you guys. Because when God is doing a work inside of you, what is becoming new and fresh inside of you begins to come out of you. It happens. It happens in so many people's lives. And the problem is, you guys, the reality is, and I'm saying this to Christians that have been walking with the Lord for a while and are discipled maybe a lot further along than some of the other people that we have in our church, because thank God, by his grace, you guys, we have brand new unbelievers coming in all the time. And I love it. I love it because I've been to a lot of churches where you've got the same 30 people that are all saved and praise God for that. But they're like, someone new comes in for one time and they're like, uh, because everyone's like, you don't look like us. You don't sound like us. You, you wore a Budweiser shirt. Get out of here. Right? Like, no, come on in. Join the rest of us. We're still works in progress like you. That's what I want. That's what I think that God wants. I think that's what his word says. Is like he did, Jesus didn't go pick a bunch of Pharisees and scribes and, and Sadducees. He picked losers by, by the definition of the day. He picked fishermen that had foul mouths, that didn't have cooth or etiquette, right? He picked Matthew, the tax collector, the one guy that everyone's like, we all hate you, every one of us right? Like he picked those people. Who do we think we are if we get in here and start thinking we're something special because God's sanctifying us? We're nothing. We are literally what we are, which is sinners saved by grace. That's all everybody is. Why would we think something different? And so you guys, I I love that our church is not that, but man, I never want to become that. I want to be a church constantly that's like, man, we're works in progress. 
Yeah, I've been walking with the Lord, Lord for 30 years, so my life is way different than it used to be, but I love that people come in and I'm like, man, I, that, that, was, you're, that's, that was me, right? And to be able to be like, I remember that. And God will work that out of you. So let's not worry about it. Let's just seek the Lord. And yeah, if someone's like, hey man, is swearing wrong? Yeah, I can show you in scripture where it is, just like someone had to do to me. Right? Is doing drugs wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. Not only is it illegal, which means you're breaking the law, but also on top of that, you guys, the word makes it clear that that is what we read here is sorcery, pharmakia. It's this idea of like you're taking things to alter your mind. It's wrong. Let's work on that. Let's let God work that out of you. It will change. God will change you. The longer we walk with God, the more the Holy Spirit does his work on the inside, you guys, and it will show up in your words and in your actions. It will, I guarantee. It's not something we fix or work on. A caterpillar doesn't like walk into the cocoon and be like, all right, what's the next step? Got to make a wing. Right? Thou pops the wing. And then he's like, oh, look at this tubby belly. I'm never going to fly with these crazy wings. I got to thin up. That's not how that works. Is that how that works? I mean, I guess, no, butterflies don't even have enough mind to even have a thought probably, right? They're just like, mmm, flower. The reality is, you guys, why, why do we look at a caterpillar? What, what happens? It goes into the cocoon and God does the work and it comes out something totally different. Why would we look at our lives any differently? Why? I just, I want us to get our head around this, you guys. We can trust that Jesus is doing the work. The only thing he asks of us is to die to ourselves. It's the one thing. Everybody doesn't want to do that, but everybody's like, oh, I'm going to work. I'm going to not swear anymore. Oh, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And yes, I'm not saying there's not a part of you that should want and desire those things. What I'm getting at is, as a Christian, if we start thinking that that's the answer, versus let God do a work in you and die to yourself. Read his word and say, it says that I shouldn't have filthy language. And so I'm gonna work, Lord, with you to die to me and my way. And so Father, change that in me. God, make a difference in my life. Father, work this out of me. And I don't know where that line of balance is, right? Because God's absolutely sovereign and could do it right then and there. He could be like, you will never say another swear word in your life. I know he could. Just like I know whenever I'm praying for someone to be healed that I'm like, God, this person has cancer. Father, you could remove this from his body at this moment. I have no doubt about it. Sometimes God chooses not to go that route. Right? How many people struggle with pornography? Don't raise your hand. Right? How many people struggle with that? Pornography is a huge issue, drug issues, all these other things, you guys. Some of this stuff, God does take to some people and just remove it and, and take it out of their lives. But other people, it's a lifelong process. But that whole process requires death on your part. It requires you to be like, Lord, you have a better way and I want that way, not my way. And that is the truth of what I'm reading here. That's the truth of what we see here when Jesus takes this whole thing and flips it on its head. And he shows them, this is who I really am. And that's what he wants to do through us and in us. So who was he standing there talking with? He's talking to Moses and Elijah. Moses. God used Moses to write the law, didn't he? First five books of the Bible, all written by Moses. 
God used Moses to write the law. Elijah is considered the greatest of the prophets. And here is Jesus conferring about his future death with the law and the prophets. Do you get what's happening here? From like a really crazy level, he's basically saying everything in the entire Old Testament scripture, all of this, all of it, the law and the, and the prophets, all of it was culminating into this one moment, your death and resurrection. That's what the point is. That's why these two guys were here. He was showing Peter, James, and John, this has always been the plan. There's never been a moment that this wasn't the plan. This is exactly what we knew before Adam was even created. It's awesome. Again, I go back to this. Why is it so hard for us to die to an amazing God that loved us so much that before we ever once were even a thought, even before humanity was a thought, he's like, I'm gonna die for these guys. I'm gonna die for them. You guys, if that's how cool and amazing and loving he is, it should be pretty simple in your heart to say, yeah, I wanna die for you. Verse four. Verse four says this. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. In other words, good thing we're here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. So you guys, Peter, we know Peter loves to talk. It worked in his favor sometimes, like we saw a couple weeks ago, whenever he was like, man, this is who you are, Jesus. And he's like, hey, God gave you that. That's awesome. It didn't work so well last week, whenever he's like, Jesus, you're wrong, and rebuked him. And here, it doesn't work either. This is one of those moments when it didn't work to his advantage. Let's flip over to the book of Mark, real quick. Chapter 9. Mark 9. Verse five, this is that little insight I told you that we only get in Mark because Peter was talking to Mark. And so, of course, Peter knew what was going on in his head whenever he said those words. And that's what we're gonna read here. Chapter nine, verse five says this. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Why? Because he did not know what to say. <laughs> and they were greatly afraid. You guys, word to the wise, if you don't know what to say when you're standing in front of Moses, Elijah, and a glorified Jesus, shut up. <laughs> shut, your, shut your mouth. Don't say anything. But Peter, in Peter fashion, and I love it because, man, I am so Peter, right? Here he is saying, like, not only you guys, not only is he saying, like, how can we help? What can we do? No, he starts off with the most ridiculously, like, arrogant statement. Hey, man, it's good we're here. Jesus, man, what would you have done without us? Let me go ahead and hook you up and build you some houses quick. That's what he's saying. And I love it because what, <laughs> what happened as Peter regaled them about how lucky they were that the, you know, those three were there, a cloud envelopes them. A cloud literally is like, whoa. And a fog just comes over them. And they hear this voice from a cloud, which is God, right? Who they can't see or they would die. And so God's being gracious to them. But what's he say? Basically, he says, Peter, shut your pile. 
Listen to Jesus. Like, I'm pleasing him. Just you, stop. Right? Like, shut up. You got two ears, use them. So what happens at that point after this cloud happens? They all are like, wow! And they fall flat on their face, and they're just like blown away by what just happened, right? And I would imagine Peter's like, I'm done. I, I'd be quiet now. Verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So Jesus came to them and was like, dude, chill out. You don't need to be afraid. It's all good, right? God showed them grace and mercy right then and there because if God was actually angry with Peter, he would have just been like peekaboo and and Peter would have just been obliterated, right? And not existed anymore. And so obviously God was just like, stop, listen, don't, don't. Like, don't, like, let this moment be what it is. Look at and listen to what you're seeing here in front of you. Don't talk. And I feel like you guys very often we do the same thing, don't we? Very often God's trying to say some amazing thing to us and we're like, yeah, on to the next thing. We don't give it time. For those of you that have gone through Rooted, you know this, but for those that haven't, there's a, there's a week in Rooted that we do that we have a prayer experience and it's the most amazing time. And it's not new. There's nothing new, right? It's not like we're coming at something that's like, oh, this is brand new and it's going to blow your mind. Here's what we do, though, that so often people have never done. How many of you guys have your prayer time? I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but I'm saying how many of you guys in your prayer times, your prayer times might just be like, Lord, I need this. And God, would you help so-and-so? And Aunt Bessie's sick, so help her father and, and be with this. And God, would you help my day? And Lord, would you give me wisdom into my words? And blah, 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 blah. And you're constantly kind of like that, 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 that. And then you get done and you're like, all right, bye. And you're out. And that's your prayer time. We take an hour and pray in, in, by yourself. Just go find a spot in the yard or wherever. And part of it is you have a journal. But in that prayer time, it's as much about listening as it is speaking. And so you're speaking to the Lord and you're saying, God, thank you. Thank you for all the blessings you've poured out in my life. Lord, thank you for my children. Thank you, Father, that, that they're doing well and everything's good. Whatever your prayers are. And then you just stop and don't talk. And listen. And see what the Lord might say to you. And then we go through and you finally get to those things that you actually want to ask, your supplications, and you, <clears throat> you pour them out before the Lord as well. And then you spend 20 minutes just sitting, listening. And the reason it's so special is the first time I did it, this is my fourth time through Rooted. First time I did it, I, I can't say that I ever really had spent the time listening up to that point. Now it's just become part of my rhythm because I'm like, it's so special. God puts verses on your mind that you write down, right? God puts things on your mind for other people that you just write it down. And how do you know it's not just you? Well, because typically you're not going to come up with that stuff, right? I'm not that eloquent. So I trust that it's the Lord. The other thing is, you guys, is that I know the devil is not going to be like, here's a Bible verse for you to read. Be encouraged, right? (laughs) So that's got to be from the Lord. And so it's a way to hear the Lord speak. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. And so that's what God was telling these disciples is like, stop, listen, take it in, listen. 
And I think God asks us the same thing. Don't fill our time with, with our phone and our stuff. Give God time to speak to you through his word. Give God time in your prayer to just listen and to take it in. So, Peter, in around a week, had told Jesus that he was a promised Messiah, that he was a savior, that he was God in flesh. He rebuked Jesus and he informed Jesus, Moses and Elijah, that they should be glad that they, he was there so he could build them some houses. That's a pretty good week for a guy, right? You guys, I'm telling you all this because the reality is, again, as disciples, perfection is never the expectation. It's never been the expectation. The modern day church has turned it into something that it never should have been, you guys. It's walking with him. It's talking with him. It's messing up. It's listening and mishearing. It's all of the above, but the main thing it never is, is standing still. And I think far too often in the American church, we have believers that get saved and then do this their entire lives and never move. And that's why not every believer is a disciple. Because disciples walk and say dumb things and, and, and act and do dumb things and they do it and then they learn and grow and they're like, whoa, God, you're amazing. And then they keep walking and then about a year down the road, they're like, man, I'm totally not the person I was. God, you're awesome. And they keep walking and doing dumb things and saying dumb things and God works that stuff out of them. Do you get the point? That's a walk. I don't want us to be a church of believers that are like this so that you're like, I don't wear those shirts. Ugh, get out of our church. No, because if you're walking, it's you realizing you're still messed up too. If you're standing still, you can act like you got your little world perfected, but you don't. As a matter of fact, you're, further, you're less further along than everybody else. God knew everything Peter was gonna do in his entire life and, and yet still chose to use him in amazing ways, right? That should bring us comfort. So, Peter tells us the truth of all the things he saw here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Flip over there with me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. This is what Peter said about this moment. It says this. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What's he saying? He's like, you guys, yo, you know, like I'm a fisherman. I, I'm not smart enough to write this good of a story. That's what he's saying. Like, we're not following these things that we made up. Like we saw it. We saw Jesus as he really is. We saw it. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Notice Peter cut out the last part, shut your mouth, right? <laughs> we heard this voice when we came, uh, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What's he saying? He's saying to every one of us here today, whether you're a believer or not a believer, this is real. This really happened. It's the truth. It is the absolute reality. And every one of the disciples, every one of them were willing to literally physically die for this, but they lived a life that died for this. 
They lived a life that was radically transformed and changed through time. And that's the life that God's called us all to. And so Peter is here saying to everyone, listen, this is real. This is worth it. This is everything. This short little blip on the radar of a life that we live here is worth nothing in comparison to eternity. That's what he's saying, you guys. And what makes the American church so anemic is that we don't believe it. We're like, yeah, we're good. We got fire insurance and we stand back there and we don't move another muscle. That's sad. I don't want that to be true for us. I want our church to be a church that's like, we are going to walk with you, God. And that means we are gonna fall and skin our knees a hundred million times and you're gonna pick us up and we're gonna keep walking. And I love that for us. I love that, that idea and that thought that these guys were willing to give everything, even their lives. And all Jesus is asking you for is to be willing to say his name at work. All he's asking you for is to say, man, stop swearing so much because it's really killing your, you know, your ability to tell other people about me. That's all he's asking for. Jesus never started out. He didn't start out with Peter and all these guys being like, look, you're gonna die tomorrow on the cross. Bye. That's not how that started. No, he worked with them and walked with them and, and they lived their lives and they walked it out. And then one by one, this life that they chose to just die to here meant their life literally, except for John who had it the worst because he was boiled alive in oil and survived it. I think I would have just rather died, right? John was the only one that died a natural death after being tortured and beaten and boiled and all this other stuff. Peter was telling him, look, we saw this. It's not some made up story. And so I got to say to you guys, if you're here today and you're not a believer, you have got to decide. You've got to decide what you believe and I'm not up here giving you an ultimatum. I'm saying literally, we are not guaranteed our next breath. We don't know when Jesus is gonna return. And I can tell you this, and I hold to this. We are not called to bring people into the kingdom because we can't, right? I've said it a thousand times. If I could, I would drop kick everybody into heaven, but I can't, nobody can. What we're called to do is scatter seed. And the one reality I know as a pastor and the one thing I would encourage all of you in is this. If you are scattering seed and telling people about Jesus, it is not on you at that point. We're reading through Ezekiel on Wednesday night and as you read Ezekiel, he's like, listen, if you tell people what's coming, it's on them. If you shut your mouth and don't say anything, I'm gonna hold you accountable. And that's the old covenant. God, Jesus was held accountable for all those things in our lives. But listen, why would we want to walk willfully in sin? Yeah. And it is sinful. When the Lord's telling you, you need to tell someone about Jesus and you're like, mm, that's embarrassing. I might get in trouble. Something, get over yourself. I'm just being real. Is it embarrassing sometimes? Yes. Do you have people that don't like you because of it? Yes. Did things happen? Yep. I was investigated twice when I was in the military. And both times the Lord was gracious and like let me off the hook. Does that make sense? What's worth more? Your life here 
or your eternal life? It's a question we've got to ask. I think if we start living like eternal life is important, that's why in the book of Acts, 3,000 people came to the Lord in one day. That's why the church grew leaps and bounds. That's why the church in Iran right now is growing leaps and bounds. That's why the church in China is growing leaps and bounds because those people are like, it means my life if someone finds out and yet I'm gonna tell everybody because they've given up on this life here. I don't know how else to say it. And you guys might be like, oh, you're too radical, pastor. I don't know. I don't know about this. Well, I think Jesus was a radical. I think Jesus was a rebel. I think Jesus was not afraid to get in there and be like, this is what this is about. And oh, by the way, since I am God, I'm the one that gets to decide what it looks like. I don't know about you guys, but that means something to me. And I want that to be true in our lives, in my life. Revelation 11. First off, I want to say, let's keep reading. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 10. And his disciples asked him saying, why then do do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the son of man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So these three disciples are asking Jesus about Elijah on the way down. They're like, okay, we saw Elijah there. So what's the deal? Because the scribes are saying like, he's got to show up before the Messiah returns. And how's all that work? And they didn't understand. Let's flip over. Last verse, Malachi, the book of Malachi, verse chapter four, verse five. Malachi tells us, here, and this is where the scribes were coming from, this is what we see here, is that it says here in Malachi chapter four, verse five, Malachi tells us, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of what? The great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to be to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What's he saying? He is gonna come and he is gonna strike the earth with a curse. That's the entire book of Revelation. That's what we read there. And so when's the great and dreadful day of the Lord? When he steps foot back on earth. At the end of the tribulation, that is, that's when that day comes. So who's gonna come before that? Elijah. You guys remember in Revelation 11, it talks about the two witnesses. That's what it's speaking of. It's speaking of something that hasn't even happened yet, you guys. That hasn't even happened yet. And I love it because in Revelation 11, we're told these two witnesses, they're going to be preaching and pleading right in front, of the, in front of the temple. And they're going to be talking about like, man, you need to repent. You need to do these things. And many in scholarly you know, circles believe that this is going to be, these two witnesses are going to be Elijah and Moses. And some people think maybe Enoch for the other one, but everyone pretty much agrees one of them is going to be Elijah based on this Malachi scripture, right? And they're going to be there. And it's kind of cool because here's what's going to happen. If someone comes up to them for like 1,260 days in that period, God says, I'm going to protect them. And he gives them a very specific thing that they're going to do, which I, it just blows my mind. If somebody's like, we're sick and tired of you talking, shut up. As they're running, they're going to stop spitting truth and they're going to spit fire, (laughs) literally, and just burn them to death. Kind of crazy, right? So this time that when Elijah and Moses come back, if that's who it is, it's going to be nuts. And we read about that in Revelation 11. Have you guys seen that happen yet? Because I haven't. No. So that's in the future. It hasn't happened yet. Nobody's spitting fire out of their mouths and burning people alive, right? Nobody's doing that. 
But that's what we read in Revelation 11, that that's the thing God's going to do to make sure that his word for 1,260 straight days is not stopped. That everyone hears. And we have the technology today that right now we could put it on the screens and we could look at the temple wall right now. So do you think we're not capable of having the entire world hear that message? It's, it's possible today, right now. Jesus goes further in telling them the truth that, listen, there was an Elijah of sorts that already came. John the Baptist. And nobody listened to him then. So what's Jesus saying? He's like, look, God is gracious. God is continuing to pour out his mercy and his grace and telling people, these churches that are open right now, our church today, every other God-fearing church that is preaching the gospel, that is open and have people in it that don't believe, those are God's grace being poured out saying, come to know me. Don't wait another second. It's also saying to all of us as Christians, become a disciple, grow. Don't just sit there and do nothing. Church is not a spectator sport. It never has been. We've turned it into one. Serve. Move. This is your practice ground, you guys, because out in the world, people aren't as nice. Right? This is your practice ground. You want to learn how to pray? Pray here. You want to learn how to serve others? Serve others here. You want to learn what it looks like to have a conversation about Jesus? Talk to someone about, the, the, about Jesus here where you're going to hear things like, man, yeah, no, you're right. Or, man, I don't know if I agree with that. And let's look in the God's word to figure that stuff out. That's where you want to do it. Because when you're out in the world and you say the word Jesus, who knows what you're going to get back? We don't know. And yet we're called to do that out in the world. In here is just practice. It'd be like an NFL team only going to the practice field and practice, practice, practice. And we're like, we're amazing. We're so awesome. We're good. Who have you played? Nobody. We just don't show up to the games. But that's kind of what the church has become, hasn't it? Oh, we're awesome. Look at us. Oh, man, we've got the best programs. Dude, our coffee is the heat. Everything is amazing about us. Oh, man. What are you doing out in the world? Nothing. Let's not be that church. Let's be messy in here, working it out so that we can go out there and yes, still be messy, but see what God might do with our mess. So to believers here today, God's calling you to discipleship. Is it hard? Yep, absolutely, it's hard. Does it require death to yourself? Yes, it does. Is it worth everything for this short life here on earth? Absolutely, absolutely. Remember, this isn't just anyone calling you to die to yourself. It's Jesus. It's God. Your creator. Asking you to live a life here and now that is dedicated to him so that for eternity, you're going to get to spend it with him. And he's so gracious, you guys, that our lives here and how good or bad we do isn't even dependent on whether we're in heaven or not. Do you understand? That's what's so cool. He separated those two things. We are saved and sent to heaven only because of the blood of Christ. But the reality is he's called us to something more. And that's the walk that we get to walk it out with him. To anyone here that has not accepted the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers, I just got to say this, you guys, you're not going to be able to stand before the Lord when you die. 
and say that you did not hear from this church that there is only one way to heaven and it is Christ. You're not going to be able to. And I'm not saying that like, look at me. No, I'm saying this. God forbid you would hear anything else in this church other than Jesus is Lord. God forbid you would hear that you could be good enough to get into heaven on your own. Keep trying because you never will. God forbid you would ever hear anyone in here say anything except that the only way to heaven is through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And you guys, no one can dropkick you there. But if you're here today and you do not believe, please hear me. I mean this. Make it today. I'm not pleading with you. I'm just asking you a simple question, the same question that we all have to ask. Is Jesus worth more than our own lives? If you're online and you're watching and you haven't done this, listen, it's this simple. God's word tells us that if you repent of your sins, which we all have, they're not just like mistakes. They're not just like, oh, that's just who I am. No, they're sinful. And God lays them out quite clearly. There's actually 10 commandments that we read. Anybody that can look at all 10 and say they, don't, they, they do them all is, is a liar, which means you're breaking one of the commandments anyway, right? <laughs> we can't. I can't. If you accept this perfect sacrifice, it's the one and only way to heaven. God tells us in Romans 10, 8 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth and believe with all your heart, you will be saved. That's it. It's not hard. There's nothing complicated or magical about any of this. It's super simple. You accept and believe it in your heart and God saves you. There's a change that begins at that moment. For everyone here though, I just want to say this. There's going to be some people there's going to be Nate and a couple other guys and, and ladies up here just to pray with you. If you are here today and you're like, man, my discipleship walk is, is not maybe as good as it should be, and I'm just letting you all know, I'm not trying to force anybody's hand or manipulate, but I'm saying that should be all of us because I'm not there yet. There will be people up here to pray with, to pray with you, to seek the Lord with you. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, come up and get prayer. It's not embarrassing. Nobody knows what you're up here for. Nobody cares, right? We're here to like seek the Lord for ourselves. We're here to see what God might want to do. But I guarantee you this, heaven cares about every prayer. Heaven cares. So if, if that's the thing holding you back is that you're embarrassed, well, get over yourself and get up here and just come and get, seek the Lord. That's for everybody here. Amen? Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.